Hey everybody, welcome to the Random Movie Club. I'm your host Rob Logan, and each week I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming. Before you listen to this week's show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'm going to tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. On this week's show, I'll be discussing Big Trouble in Little China with Matt West. Let's roll the film. Big Trouble in Little China was released in 1986 from director John Carpenter. Written by Gary Goldman, David Z. Weinstein, and W.D. Richter, the film stars Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, and Dennis Dunn. You chose to watch Big Trouble in Little China, and as I always ask my co-host, because of course it is your choice, why did you choose this movie? Ultimately, the reason why I pitched this one is because during one of the episodes of Geek Generation where we were all talking, uh, it was brought up that Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be starring in a remake. That's right. And when we got talking about it, you had stated, oh, I've never seen that. And instantly, it was just, I think Paul O and I were both, ah, dibs, 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 and, <laughs> and, and I won dibs. So, um, yeah, so I figured you needed to see Big Trouble in Little China. So then knowing that your affinity to the movies and your dedication to seeing the movies of the rock stars, and sure. if he's going to be in it, then you need to see the the, the canon before you see the uh, the the source before true although that. sometimes i do that in the opposite just because so yeah. i have the reverse experience to talk about than everybody else i did that with total recall like i saw the reboot first okay before the original and i still like the original better yeah so if they end up doing big trouble in little china which they said was the plan then i guess i'm in the same boat as everyone else now but yeah. at least i do have a point of comparison and i am it, curious it does have an imdb page now so oh it does yeah so it's moving forward so it's moving forward it's not in development hell so far interesting right? yeah uh, so before we talk about the movie itself in detail, of course, as always, I go to IMDb and I gather a whole bunch of trivia about the movie. There's some interesting stuff for this one. According to John Carpenter and Kurt Russell in the DVD commentary, the story was originally written as a Western, but Carpenter decided to set it during modern times. They even mentioned that instead of Jack Burton's truck being stolen, it was originally his horse. I think that's common knowledge on this movie. Yeah, yeah, but it's still, I mean, it would have worked that way, too. I think it would have worked either way. It's why it's probably so quirky, because it was written for another time yeah. period entirely. And then a lot of this, obviously, some of this stuff wouldn't have worked as much for a Western. Right. A lot of it would have, but not absolutely everything. Uh, although Kurt Russell was John Carpenter's only choice for the lead role, the studio suggested Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood. Once they proved unavailable, Carpenter was able to cast Russell. So he got his choice ultimately, even though there were other ones thrown in the hat. Jackie Chan was John Carpenter's first choice to play Wang Chi, but producer Lawrence Gordon was highly against it, fearing Chan's English wasn't good enough after seeing his performances in Battle Creek Brawl and The Protector, but Carpenter wanted Chan after the success of Police Story. Chan declined, and Dennis Dunn was cast instead. Is that something you were aware of? Uh, actually, I, I wasn't until I checked the IMDb. Oh, okay. Around, but I could, you know, I think, I think that, um, Dennis Dunn was good for that role. I think he's he fits in perfectly. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, I don't know how it would be if it was Jackie Chan. I, I love Jackie Chan. Right, I love, right. And some of the stunts that are done with that character might have been cool with being Jackie Chan. Sure. But I don't know. I, I definitely don't think the movie suffered for not having Jackie Chan. No, and I agree that uh, the reasoning of having Chan's accent wasn't quite good enough. If you mm -hmm. hear him in his earlier American movies, it's certainly not it's up to par yeah. where with Dennis Dunn was. Kurt Russell suffered a bad case of the flu during shooting. 
so the sweat on his body is real caused by the fever. That's uh, interesting, especially considering he had to have a lip lock with Kim Cattrall at one point, <laughs> and you can see the beads yeah. of sweat on his face, and like, hey, you're sick now, too. <laughs> How about that? This was the last studio film that John Carpenter worked on at the end of the 1980s due to the problems he'd received during the production of the film with then-studio head Lawrence Gordon, who practically interfered with the film up until its release date. Prince of Darkness and They Live would be made independently through live films without any studio interference and distributed by Universal Pictures. There's pretty generalized belief that that interference also hit on a promotional level mm -hmm. and probably led to the movie being a box office bomb, but it's been a huge cult success afterwards. I mean, but because you don't have the studio's cooperation and the studio head's cooperation, uh, you know, they're not putting the money behind advertising. Right, right. And this is a quirky movie already, unless you really get it out there that it's going to be something you need to catch you know you you show some one-liners and some good stuff the, the fans in a trailer will will take to that sort of stuff sure. and some of that action but they didn't get any of that yeah i had read too that they just kind of <clears throat> didn't know how to promote this film right because it was so quirky and so weird so even though there was some attempts made for proper promotion it just didn't fly because they're like uh <laughs> right i don't know uh the vehicle egg shen drove in the movie was a 1936 white touring car that very car is now in Yellowstone National Park, the location it was originally built for, named Hollywood, and gives tours out of Old Faithful. My parents were there a year ago, mm -hmm. and they actually stayed near Old Faithful. Now I have to ask them if they were, hey, did, was there an old car that you traveled in? Yeah. Because it'd be so cool. My mom and dad were in Egg Shen's Egg Foo Young Mobile. <laughs> Do you think it's still the car? I don't know. I mean... If it is, that's <clears throat> damn impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A 1936? Yeah. In the wedding scene where Lo Pan is putting the needle of love in Mao Yin, James Hong actually jabs Susie Pai too hard. You can see her flinch as he puts it in her. Not that needle of love. Not that needle of love. <laughs> it's actually a legitimate needle that he's yeah, stabbing yeah. her with. In the wrist. Yeah. And I noticed some flinching. Oh, now, yeah. Of course, I thought it was acting. Right. But it that, certainly <laughs> looked like he was stabbing her with it. That That's the real sell, as we say, the business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, as lightning is crushed to death near the end of the film, some of the lightning he emits forms a small Chinese symbol as it disappears near the top middle of the screen. The symbol translates as Carpenter, a nod to the film's director. I, I love, love that. Yeah, I love yeah. stuff like that love when it. you get little things like that after the fact. Yep, always good. And the uh, the animated lightning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lastly in the trivia here, this film has a body count of only 46. I thought it was higher based on what I was watching. Yeah. <laughs> but, so 46, even though large. Seems small for what I watched. Yeah, there's, there's some some pretty outrageous gang warfare. Yeah. Obviously, people are getting killed, and um, there's some pretty creative deaths in there yeah, as yeah. well. Very entertaining. All right, let's talk about the movie itself. So we start off with an interview scene that was actually tacked on after the movie was produced. This was supposed to be, the starting point at least was supposed to be just Jack Burton driving, which you see after the scene, but they added this in. And the first thing I saw, because this is my first time watching, I should probably mention that too. This was my first time watching Big Trouble in Little China. So my exposure to some of these actors is from other media oh, yeah, that absolutely. they were in that might have come after the fact. So right away I went, holy shit, it's Deep Throat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> from yeah. the X-Files. Exactly. That was my big like, whoa, cool. And then... The, their discussion about Jack Burton kind of talking about him makes him instantly mysterious and yep. like a really important, almost like tall tale yep. type of figure, 
which I thought was a very good setup. So that scene added at the beginning made perfect sense. Right. It's almost like an earth setting him up as an urban legend. Yeah. There was this mysterious truck driver. Yep. Jack Burton. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the weirdest thing that immediately sets the tone of the film. And the only thing I wish that wasn't this early in the movie is the lightning on the hands of, uh, egg. Right. Because not only is it like, holy crap, he had that power the entire time and he never used it. Right. <laughs> but. Now they're already showing, oh, this is a mystical right, he's movie. Not, he, and, and he's not just like you think at first he's just some little, you know, some shyster who's taking people on the street to right. Now you've seen he's some level of sorcerer. Right. Like if the first kind of like magic and sorcery we had seen was during that gang fight that comes later, it would have been like, holy shit, what? Right. Right. But the fact that we saw that lightning in the beginning kind of took away from the impact of it later on. Right. Exactly. So everything else in the scene, perfect. If that wasn't there. I just think it would have made everything that much of a better build. Uh, then we get to see Jack Burton driving in the truck. Is he talking to anyone in particular? Or is he just kind of... I think he's just broadcasting to anyone who he's might be listening. totally broadcasting to whoever's on. Yeah. He doesn't care. And nobody's... Because even the way he talks... I think he's he's a bigger superhero in his own mind Absolutely. than than he really is. Yeah. And so that's why he's got that whole rhetoric, you know. And just like Jack Burton always says, you know, and he goes and love it. The Pork Chop Express. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Such a great character. I felt like he was establishing his one liners like right from the get go. Oh yeah. Just by doing that scene. Uh we then get to the gambling and uh the whole bit with they're playing dominoes and was it Wang goes to cut the bottle in half? Yeah. Which yeah. is a great foreshadowing moment. As soon as he said, I'm going to cut this bottle in half with this knife, I was like, oh, this is not going to happen. Right, well. exactly. And I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen if he was going to launch it like he did or if there was just going to be glass shrapnel everywhere. But, uh, what did happen and then the quick reflexes and that all comes back later, yeah. obviously. Uh, that was a good setup. Moving into the airport, uh, Min Wong, the girl who plays Tara. Now I should say too. I've said this on our other podcast before. One of my favorite guilty pleasure movies is Gleaming the Cube. Yep. To the point where I even did that on another podcast recently, discussion wise. So I noticed a few people in this movie from Gleaming the Cube. Oh, nice. <laughs> and like that was my point of reference for Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm actually glad that it wasn't the other way around because if I had seen this when it came out, Gleaming the Cube came out three years later. So I might have, although I would have been seeing this pretty damn young yeah. if, if that was the case. But Min Wong, the girl who plays Tara, is the same girl who played Christian Slater's girlfriend in Gleaming the Cube. Okay. So that was just one of the two girls that you see at the airport, not the one that's the fiance. Right. Uh, the leather jackets and sunglasses indicate street gang. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever was their designer must have also done Barry Gordy's last dragon for that street gang for yeah. showing off. You know, all right, we're going to. That's instantly street gang. Yeah. Did the eye slit sunglasses not feel a little bit racist to you? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that was, I was like, whoa. But that was, that was pretty common. I mean, this is the eighties. That's commonplace. We I were so, so less PC then. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I mean, they were wearing them. Like, yeah. I feel like it's racist if a white guy is wearing those glasses. Right. Like to almost make fun of an Asian guy. But for an Asian guy to wear them, is that now okay? I don't know. Again, that... it's the sign of the times. Things have changed a lot, though. And you <laughs> didn't even think about it then. No, not at all. It's funny, though. It is. Uh, then we get the chase. And uh, whoever is playing Wang is the worst line reader <laughs> ever. Like when he's sitting in Burton's truck and they're like going over stuff and you hear some of Wang's dialogue delivery. It's so bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. So bad. But would have been worse if it was Jackie Chan. Yes. You know? So, yeah, yeah. Well, he was better than Jackie Chan. Because so. you wouldn't have understood all no. of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Chinese standoff. 
the guys in the black and red came out tapping their weapons and instantly I thought of West Side Story. Yeah. That was the uh the Wing Kong Tong and the Chang Sing. Yeah. Who are actually based on legitimate Chinese street gangs. Right. From the early part of in the New York, century. right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, in Little China. Right. And the names are very similar. I don't quite remember what they were. but I don't were, either, but they rhyme. Yeah, I think. very close. Yeah, yeah. The gang in the brown and yellow are apparently armed with telescoping shower rods. Right. <laughs> That's they were, they, they were, like the, yeah, me. they were the Chang Sing. Yeah. And they were, I guess you could look at them as sort of the good guys. Yeah. And the, the Wang, the Wing Kong Tongs, uh, were all the one, otherwise known as the Hatchet Men. Yep. And you might have, if you're, you know, when you're looking at guys who pop up in other movies, one of the guys, uh, he was sort of one of the leaders of that was bald with this really long mustache. Mm-hmm. He would later be Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And yeah, the actor is, um, Al Leong. Nice. Yeah. So many stabbings in this scene. Yeah. No blood. No blood. No blood. No. None whatsoever. We weren't quite there in the 80s with goriness yet. Yeah, I guess not. If that was a Quentin Tarantino film, that would have just so been much blood. blood spatter everywhere, all over the exactly. place. The three sorcerers enter, and as soon as one of them did, I was like, holy shit, it's raining. Right. The three <laughs> storms, lightning, rain, and thunder, and they were. It, I, that was one of the inspirations to Raiden. Those right, characters. right. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that after, too, like in the, in the trivia they listed. That, that was like the first time when I ever played Mortal Kombat, when it was just in the arcade. I remember putting a coin in, and it's pick your guy, you know, pick, and you see Raiden, and he's got the eyes, and, the, and it wasn't as comical a hat as they have, right. but it was still... Oh my God. It looks just like one of the three storms. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and they're, they're pretty cool. They, they build them and they're very typical to that kung fu genre. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always these mystical different, you know, they have different powers and they're, they're the leaders sort of of the clans and they have, um, more kung fu abilities. That's where you like later on you get that whole, it's almost like that wire fighting stuff that happens. Right. And, right. Um, so they were cool to bring them out now. So now the, you know, the, the Wing Kong Tong are, are upping the ante by having the three storms as a part of things to take over, like, you yeah, know, get the lead in this battle. Yeah. Yeah. They're all armed with kitchen utensils, apparently. Yeah. Whatever those things were, which this is the only time in the movie that stuff really shows up. Right. Aside from. Like the wedding ceremony, Thunder has the same knives, but right. One had like those extending rakes, and the other one yeah. had those little hand spinny things. The hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. They were cool though. Yeah. <laughs> and why? And honestly, why would you need them if you can shoot lightning out of your right? hands? <laughs> I know they're the last people that need those things. Right. Jack got hit by the scarecrow's fear toxin apparently, because Lopan has that same kind of light emitting from his eyes right. and mouth that you saw in Batman Begins. Yep. Yeah. That's the first time we see David Lopan. That's the demon version of him, and he pops up right in front of the Pork Chop Express, and they yep. they run him down. Yep. And he pops right back up, like not hit at all. Which is interesting because later on in the movie, he that version of the demon Lopan is not substantial. He's he's transparent mm. and like he can't be. He's not a solid. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they ran him down, even though he was he survives it, he should have just like it should have been one of those. He sort of passes through the the, right, the truck, right? Totally, which is one of those continuity things. But it's again, great <laughs> cheesy film. That's <laughs> what it is. It is. Um, we go to the Dragon of the Blackpool restaurant. I love the line where uh, Gracie comes in, just goes, don't panic. It's only me, Gracie Law. <laughs> like, what was right? that? <laughs> and and if, if, if a hair flip could be done verbally, that line was delivered with it. Well, that's Kim Cattrall. I mean, later yeah. on, think about the body of work she's done later on and all the sex pots she's played. Right. This was definitely an early step in the, that direction for her. <laughs> so funny, though. That, oh, that line had me rolling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then at Gracie's office, the dialogue in this scene is just ridiculous. 
reporter saying, who is the reporter? Margo? Yeah. Margo's yeah. like, you mean David Plan, the blah, 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 exposition, blah, right. blah, blah. Who I've done all this research on, and I can tell you everything about him, but no one's willing to take my story. Right. And then Gracie's like, you mean the Wing Kong exchange, the blah, blah, explanation, blah, blah. Like, they, this was a whole exposition oh, scene. Yeah, exactly. For sure, just to exactly. explain everything. And I was, again, it's so funny. Like, I don't know if that was the intent of it. Right. Or if they just felt that they needed exposition to pull the viewer in, like, at this point, I think Carpenter's a pretty solid yeah. director, and I think he knows better than to overuse exposition like that, so I feel like maybe it's it almost, was It's tongue-in-cheek, tongue in yeah. yeah. I absolutely feel that yeah. way with this. But, oh my god, that just it made, me, <laughs> made me laugh out loud. The Wing Kong Exchange. They go through the water-filling elevator, which was, like... Interesting. <laughs> no, actually, before and before they get to that part, yeah, um, they they go to inter, inf, infiltrate the white tiger. That's the brothel, right? And um, at that part, Kurt Russell as Jack Burton gets dressed up as a nerd. Yes, that is his costume from Used Cars, right? Which was a movie he right. did like five years prior. It's the exact same outfit when he was a used car salesman. So that's totally a nod to a prior role. Have you seen that movie? I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was one of those just funny things that they threw in there. But ultimately, him and him and Wang do end up. In that that chamber of horrors, with the hell of the upside down sinners, yeah. when they come out of the water, that, yeah, that was messed up. Yeah. Like that flipped the script a whole bit, and the yeah, whole suddenly was movie changed. no, not so funny when you're seeing like rotting corpses in the water. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably the the horror elements of Carpenter kind of leaking their way into the right, movie exactly, here. yeah. Uh, Rain, another Gleaming the Cube thing. Rain is played by the same guy who played Bobby Nguyen in Gleaming the Cube, who's like one of the main bad guys, or like one of the one of the main bad guys, like top henchman. Okay, so he's a major part of that movie. It's too. been so, so long like, since I've seen Gleaming the Cube. Yeah, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh my god! Even though he has long hair <laughs> right. and looks quite a bit different, I recognized him instantly. I always double check though. IMDb is great for that to verify that the guy you oh, think yeah, it totally. is. I wanted to make sure I wasn't racist and just identifying one Asian guy <laughs> as another one. Unfortunately, I was not. I was actually recognizing a real human being as the same one. Uh, the makeup on Old Low Pan, not so good these days. Oh, no, but I love Old Low Pan, though. Yeah. I love the voice. I just love how like it, it's so like silly and cheesy. I, I think that's part of why, like, even back then, why it's become such a cult hit because yeah. there are like performances like the plot exposition or this part where, where old David Lopan, you know, is, is in this little wheelchair and the, yep. the voice and it's just the mannerisms are so comical. It's even funnier too because I'm so familiar with a lot of James Hong's other work. Mm -hmm. Like he does the voice in Kung Fu Panda of right. the panda's yeah. father. Yep. The bird. So every time he talked, I was picturing that bird. Exactly. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, that's probably the thing I'm most familiar with him at this point. Uh, embracing the naked blade. Clear metaphor for boning. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> right. Well, later on, he's got a piercer with the needle of love. So. I know, right? It's, it's, it, there's so many, like, phallic metaphors yeah, oh, yeah, and stuff definitely. and the hilarious. Uh, escaping from captivity, there's the, the wheelchair gimmick. Yeah. That was entertaining. I didn't necessarily understand why he, like, propelled himself forward out of it. That thing wasn't falling. No. <laughs> and they almost made it seem like he got out the last minute. Right. Where he had already wheeled back on the edge. Right. So it was almost a needless, fuck that wheelchair. Right. <laughs> Just get rid of it. I love in the escape, there's the, the point where uh, Jack Burt goes, 
let's go. It's clear. And as he goes, it's definitely not. There's a guy that he opens the door. There's a bunch. And, um, that's when he has the, uh, the, like the, the submachine gun. Yeah. And he goes to shoot and nothing's happening. And, um, the guy next to him is like, Hey, the safety's on. Yeah. And he's like, is this first time shooting a gun? No, of course not. So that's like one of your first, like, all right, Jack Burton isn't quite the man he, he portrays himself to right, me. He's right. not quite this, like, you know, vigilante. He's like, just he's faking like, it. Yeah. He's exactly. going along and trying to right. play a role. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it works for him. Oh, it totally does. <laughs> uh, I love the the quick gun exchange scene where they're like, hey, I'll trade you. And the guns get tossed around a few times. Yep. And then uh, was it the detective ends up with the pistol? Yeah. Instead of the shotgun or the submachine gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so great. Freeing Gracie and Margot. I'm curious why Gracie was hogtied when everyone else was allowed <laughs> to freely move around their cell. Like, this one looks dangerous. Well, you know, she did earlier in the movie tell us how much knowledge she does have about things. So this is true. Maybe she's uh, she's crafty. Maybe. <laughs> this might not be the first time dealing with, it's me, Gracie Law. She was completely hogtied. <laughs> yeah. You don't even see that that often no. in movies in general. They just wanted to put a hot chick hot time. Someone had a fetish <laughs> right. and had to play right. it out on screen. We'll give Kim Cattrall green eyes and we'll hog tire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shooting the locks in that same scene. <laughs> Gun sounds were so much more fun in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't remember a submachine sounding like bam, bam, Ba-deow. bam. <laughs> it was so good. Gracie has the worst diving form I've ever seen. <laughs> she might as well have belly flop. Right. In the pool later on. So bad. <laughs> and then uh when they're opening those doors up and they go at the count of three, one, two, three, and they open it up, you just hear bong and see the the army of people yeah. waiting out there. I just love the effect of the gong with yeah. that. And then it's trying to close it and get out the other way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A troll doll totally must have been exposed to the mutagen from Teenage and Ninja Turtles 2. The thing that grabs Gracie. Yeah. That's what it made me think of is like Toka and Razar. Yep. So it was like a troll doll that got exposed to the same mutagen. That's what it looked like in my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had that weird, like, grotesque, puppety face. Right. And, and I-, I watched the uh, the version on Amazon Prime, too. Yeah. So it said it was streaming in 1080p. Mm-hmm. So I got to see a lot of, like, and that's maybe why Lopan's makeup looks so bad. Yeah. But I noticed a lot of things that were, like, screaming out. If I'd watched uh, an older version it probably would have felt a little more fluid. So that's probably maybe the bad side about Blu-ray. Right. Even though it does kind of up the quality of everything, it exposes a lot of things, too. I got Ernest Goes to Camp in Blu-ray. Oh. You want to talk about a horrible, horrible experience in Blu-ray? Yeah. <laughs> that's another whole random movie club down the road. At that point, you can probably see the hands and puppets' asses yeah. in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Into Lopan's Chamber. We also get, this is another exposure of the Blu-ray. They do the zoom-ins on the girl's eyes. And mm-hmm. you can see that they're clearly green contacts Contact on top lenses. of brown eyes. Yeah, because you can see the brown underlying. Oh, wow. We're in lower <laughs> resolution. You probably wouldn't have noticed yeah. that nearly as much. But so obvious. Uh, underneath Chinatown, you see that weird eyeball thing. You know that it's it's like a, a miniature version. I was a big D and D geek. It's a beholder. It reminds me of a, like a miniature beholder. That's what I was you know, thinking was, exactly. But I always liked that thing. For some reason in this movie, every time I've seen that thing, I always thought it was just cool. Were you and, bummed when they stabbed it? Then um, a little bit. But, yeah. You know, it, it's it's but it, again, it has that whole. It's a second set of eyes for low pants. So what it sees. It connects telepathically to Lopan and he okay. sees it. So, you know, as soon as that thing, that guardian sees him, mm-hmm. now Lopan goes, they're here. You know, he knows they're, they've arrived. So they killed it, but it had to be done. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the wedding ceremony. Again, the needle of love. Yeah. Another phallic metaphor. I love Lopan's line of, come, my love, give it to me. Yeah. 
as he's stabbing her with the needle. Yep. <laughs> to hell. <laughs> that was not a necessary, like, give what? Right. It's so off key to, like, what he's doing that it just stood out that much more, <laughs> but unbelievably funny. Uh, I get that Rain can hop around with his weird powers, but how is Wang doing it when they're fighting? I know, right? And that's where we have our, our wire our wire battle. Where yeah. Just, don't know. Maybe Wang has some powers that we don't know. I feel like he was holding back for a good yeah. part of the movie because all of a sudden he's like Kung Fu Master dropping everybody. What's funny is when you really watch this movie, Wang was like the, um, the sidekick. Mm-hmm. But if you really watch it. He's the the hero. Oh, Burton and Jack does Burton is so totally little. the sidekick. Yeah, Burton does so yeah. little. <laughs> I mean, everything is it's really around Wang because right. the main person that they're saving is not because Jack Burton wants to go save Gracie. It's mostly because Wang wants to go save his fiance. That's a much greater motivating yeah. factor. Like if this movie was done from Wang's perspective, absolutely Jack Burton is the sidekick. Yeah, exactly. But because of his Self superhero personality yeah. and bravado that you said, yeah, he definitely appears to be, at least from his point of view, the hero of the story. Which is funny too that he becomes also the subject of the urban myth right. kind of idea right. afterwards. Um, when Lopan shoots out his green fighter against Shen, he's moving his thumbs like he's controlling a video game. <laughs> like he's got his hands positioned weird. In a way, his thumbs yeah. start flicking, but this was what, 86? Yeah, 85, 86, yeah. It's not like that prominent for video games at this time, but his right. movements are very video game like. And I don't know if that was a nod to that or that's just coincidence that I'm yeah, connecting who now. Knows? But it was it was amusing to me. Most movies uh, wouldn't leave the lipstick all over their hero's face <laughs> for as long as they did in this after the kiss with. Yeah. Gracie Law. So instead he like wipes it off before he goes into battle. <laughs> There's the point. She stops him. Oh, she stops him and wipes she it, wipes right, it right. off his mouth. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like Wang is beating the crap out of other people in the other room. And Jack Burton's running to make the save. And she's like, hold on a sec to me. I got to wipe that <laughs> off your face. <laughs> like it was just like grandma law all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. The uh, knife catch and the throwback, that big moment there that justifies the whole reason for the bottle thing that they did earlier. Just before movie. that, yeah. um, there was the... Uh, which is another one of the signs of the times. Um, and it makes me think of like Monster Squad. Yeah. But um, that, oh, that Monster Squad, that big monster That's thing grabs Jack Bergen Burton around the throat. Yep. And uh, Gracie kicks it in the nuts from behind and drops it. It's like this huge monster. And I'm all thinking, oh, Wolfman's got nuts. Wolfman's got nuts. That's <laughs> that the least- one quote I remember from Monster <laughs> Squad. That's the one everybody remembers. <laughs> but that does bring him up to the uh to the heading to the battle with Lopan. Yeah. And uh, they have that. There's another one of those um. He gets shut down with his, you know, you know what all, uh, you know what old Jack Burton says at a time like this, and and thunders who, <laughs> me, and then that's when it leads into obviously Jack Burton, right? Yeah. Then the, then we have that knife scene where the reflexes again play, and it's not super common too to have the main bad taken out before like all his henchmen, right? Like right. they took out Lopan and then still had two of the Storm Brothers mm-hmm. to deal with. Yep, or brothers. I say brothers. I don't know if they're actually brothers. the three, the storm three storms or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And with that, I mean, Thunder pretty much takes himself out. Yeah. He throws his temper tantrum and just, uh, that reminds me of like a special effect that you'd see in like the garbage pail kids, the way he blo- yeah. starts to expand and blow up and then just pops. Yeah. And they cut away from him and you see like innards hit. I don't think I've ever seen a, a bad guy henchman take himself out just out of sheer. <laughs> he was anger. just so mad. <laughs> I know. That was weird. <laughs> I was expecting like a fight and then he just like exploded. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also right before that too, watching Thunder and Wang go back and forth in the other room. 
mm-hmm. is like super cartoony because we're just looking in through the doorway. Yeah. And you just see and like, it's still going on. It's kind of like a Benny Hill fight. Yes. Back and forth. That was interesting. <laughs> uh, and of course, solidifying this as an 80s movie during the credits, the song repeats the title of the film oh, yeah. over and over again, as most 80s theme songs did. I like that Jack Burton gets his uh, his hand solo moment at the end as he's leaving. Yep. And uh, Wang's like, aren't you going to kiss her? No. No. <laughs> no. I thought he was going to be like, been there, done that. Yeah. Something like Not that. Not even. He was because he had. Yeah. Um, and then you have the scene, the shot at the end as the, the Porkchop Express is leaving and Jack Burton's doing his little. And, you know, it's another, you know, another right night on the Porkchop Express. And they yep. pan to the back and that monster is in the back of the truck. So you have the reveal that something has, has pervaded. And yeah. I don't know if that we're looking at opening the door to a sequel if it was successful or maybe and i didn't i don't know if that was supposed to be like foreboding mm-hmm. oh no it's not over yet but i found it comical oh yeah because the look on his face and everything was just like yeah i'm out of there that's what i got out of it. <laughs> like not like jack's in trouble that right. was that never entered my right mind. and they never they didn't have like that that chord of dread after it either. no it just no kept going on yeah and then epic theme song <laughs> you know and, and what I, uh, I thought was um one of the reasons why John Carpenter was so tied to wanting it to be Kurt Russell is mm-hmm. um, he had originally directed him in Escape from New York. Yeah. So he was Snake Plissken. So that's already a character that's like a cult hero. Later on, he directs him in Escape from L.A. Yep. But he also directed, as you said, They Live, you know, Roddy Piper. And um, all these characters are all so – they're different in their own ways, but they're all similar as far as right. that, that style of – um you know, the one-liners. And I think that's why all those films resonate mm-hmm. with that same kind of cult. Like, they Live wasn't a huge commercial success. Right. But in the long run, it's made a ton of money because it became that cult film. And it's those different characters that just resonate. Like, whether it's a guy who is a strong fighter yeah. or it's somebody who's like more like Jack Burton, who's kind of like make, faking it till he makes it. Right. But they've got these one-liners. They're likable. They're funny. They're every yet they're man. badasses. Yeah. 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 I really hope Carpenter was getting residuals from all the the cult follow-up, too. Since they weren't initially commercially successful, it wasn't like he was losing money. Like Because they were successful in perpetuity, I really hope that he was getting some of that moving forward. Because he would be kind of like, is he even that successful, considering? And he's made so many good good horror movies or kind of... On the fringe movies, or, yeah. you know, it, I mean, he's a household movies. name yeah. for a yeah. guy that's like had so much cult stuff. He really yeah. is kind of a household name. That's about it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the film. I'm I, glad you liked it because yeah, yeah. I was watching it and I remember specifically watching it. Like I watched it this last time, Friday night I watched it. Yeah. And I was watching it with the mindset. This was going to be your first time watching it. Right. And I'm seeing like the Kung Fu stuff going on. And I'm like, is this, is this going to be, is Rob, I think this is like completely like, wow, this is out there. And it is out there. It but, is out there. But you can see like just for the reasons you were talking about, like a lot of the tongue in cheek stuff and yeah. like, the real like silly acting and some of those. Uh, that's, that's what resonates with people. When movies get that cult sort of following. Yeah. It's when you get those characters who have those quips and those, those quotable things where somebody will make the comment, you know, oh man, all right. When, uh, we do a hand, uh, Warbeard Hansen, uh, from Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. he used to do shows when he, when he was growing the beard in initially, when he, before he had been a full Warbeard, he used to wear the exact tank top that, um, oh yeah, that Jack Burton had with the samurai on it. Yeah. And as soon as the first time he walked in, I'm like, Big trouble in little China. He's like, hell yeah. <laughs> so just to see that somebody, you know, I mean, even now here we are like 20 years sure, later, 30 years sure. later, people are, you know, going online and buying merchandise tied to it. Yeah. I'm sure there's no residuals there for John Carpenter, Probably but not. it does show how the popularity of the movie and the property does pervade years to come. I think enjoying it was in large part to knowing that 
it was being presented to me as a cult movie. Like if someone had gone up to me and said, oh, there's this, this is this kick ass action movie. Right. That you've got to see. And I would have been like, this is cheesy as yeah, all hell. Exactly. But knowing that it was a cult movie and being able to recognize the tongue in cheek stuff. Yep. Knowing what it was allowed me to enjoy it for what it was. Absolutely. For sure. I'm sure if you walked into it when it first came into the theaters and went to see this, looks like an action movie. I'm sure there were a lot of people who walked out. The first time going, what the hell did I just watch? No doubt. No doubt. And then there was a whole other crowd that was like, oh, my God, what did I just watch? And told all their friends. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it just plays differently for different people, for sure. Yeah. But no, I enjoyed this. I'm uh, glad you liked it. Cool, cool. Thanks for uh, stopping by and doing the show. Anything we can plug for you? Not at all. Just support the shows in every different way you can between Patreon and Amazon and whatever. Keep things going. Awesome. Thanks again. Random Movie Club is a production of The Geek Generation. You can get every episode along with everything else we do over at thegeekgeneration.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our flagship podcast, The Geek Generation, available both on the site and on iTunes. Thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music for our theme song. A link to their site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next week when we'll discuss Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. See you then.